Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with John Barker, president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS10TV, Tracy Townsend has comments from Ohio's two U.S. senators on the situation between Russia and Ukraine, information on the child tax credit, and a segment about Black History Month. And in the final 12 minutes or so, we'll look at coronavirus deaths in Ohio, broken down by age. And State Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff provides an update on the current hospitalization status in Ohio. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, John Barker. He's the president of the Ohio Restaurant Association, president and CEO. How are you, John? Good, Dave. Good to talk to you. Thanks for talking to us. We've uh, talked to you several times since the pandemic began, and uh Onward we go through it. Uh, tell us first about the Ohio Restaurant Association. So, I, you know, from an association standpoint, you know, we had a, as a little business, we had a good year. Uh, we, one of the things we did last year during the worst of the pandemic is that we allowed our members to, you know, kind of uh, hang tight and not have to pay their, their dues and things like that, just to be a good partner. And I, I think you saw a lot of businesses work with each other depending on situations that, you know, they're in and, that I think will pay off because, you know, what we're trying to do is help restaurants survive, you know, this pandemic. And uh, uh, we have put together, you know, a long list of things and services and products and things we do to help them uh, survive, to help them save money and that type of thing. And uh, the COVID's a little different. Um, this has been a challenge that I, I think our generation has never seen anything like this. Um, I mean, our generation, right, 50-year generation. It's just been astounding, and uh, so many different tentacles that have come from it, from, you know, food costs and supplies to wages. I mean, there's been just a, a domino effect of all kinds of issues that have affected the industry. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to some of our folks that uh, really work all the way through what I refer to as the food industry, food and ag, all the way from, you know, when uh, that first little kernel is planted in the uh, spring at a farm all the way to it ends up on, you know, the table at home, uh, you know, because, you, you know, you buy your groceries or you go to a restaurant. And that entire process, right, is really makes up about 20 percent of the U.S. economy when you put it all together. It's huge, right? And um, uh, the restaurant business, that is, is about 20 percent of the U.S. economy. And uh, the impact that we have seen from the pandemic has touched every aspect of that entire, what I call that entire channel, right? From, again, from the moment that something happens back at the farm through about 10 different major steps all the way into you sit down at the restaurant and somebody hands you, you know, a plate with food on it. Do you have any idea how many restaurants in Ohio have gone out of business or how many remain? Yeah, we're right around 3,150 restaurants have closed, Dave, um, and that was out of a, we were at almost 24,000 before the pandemic, so, you know, we've lost not quite 10%, but, um, uh, I'm sorry, a little over 10%, so that's a big number, and um, uh, so what we're doing right now is trying to keep those restaurants that have made it so far, we're trying to keep them open, and, you know, we're doing it, obviously, because uh, Ohio wants that, Ohio wants to have a vibrant restaurant scene. They want to have great chain restaurants. They want to have great independent restaurants. They want to have the mom and pops. You know, if you live in a small town, you want to have the super little pizza store, you know, pizza shop that you go to, donut store. You want a coffee shop. You know, you want some sit down.
down restaurants that serve hearty filling food. You want some other restaurants that have great ethnic food. You know, you want some healthy places to, to serve smoothies. Dave, I know you probably have two or three smoothies every day. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so, you know, we want all those things to survive because that's what makes America, that's what it, that's what makes it a highly special. Once in a while, you, you see a restaurant opening. Is that somebody who uh, it was too late to slam on the brakes or, or they have a plan that they think will work? It seems kind of risky. <laughs> we always ask, you know, can we do a uh, kind of mental health assessment of you before you open a new restaurant these days? But uh, no, there's two things. One, yeah, they may have been, you know, pretty far along in the process. But number two, I think a lot of folks that are opening restaurants right now or very variations of food service, they have watched and learned very carefully from the pandemic, and they're redoing the way they're going to operate. You know, Dave, there's always going to be great sit-down restaurants, um, and that's not, it's probably not going to go away uh, in you know anytime soon because people still want to go sit down at a restaurant, have you know great service, fantastic food, and pay a little extra for it. Um, but the trend towards, you know, more takeout food, taking it home, taking it to the office, um, that has shifted uh, and accelerated here in the last 23 months since the pandemic uh, really had an impact, you know, um, on, our, on our world. And it's unlikely to go back uh, because people have built new patterns, you know, new ways to kind of go about their life. And so restaurants have had to adjust to that. And so a restaurant that used to maybe even not even do takeout now, after all this, might be doing 10 to 20% of their sales in takeout. Um, and that's how they, you know, are able to recover and try to get their business going again. So these new models, you know, you're going to see in restaurants as they open, you're going to see people open up with the ability to have an app, online ordering, you know, a great website, um, you know, you know, great pickup in the restaurant. You come in, a good, good system for all that, better packaging to keep food hot or cold, depending on what you're getting. And even the use of uh, delivery when they when they can, but you know maybe even delivering on their own. I mean, so businesses are adjusting and saying, how am I going to have to you know uh, run my business in the year 2022 and going forward? Talking with John Barker, president CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association, as we speak on February 8th, current hospitalizations for COVID in Ohio are le- quite a bit less than half what they were a month ago. The Omicron variant is definitely receding in Ohio, and it would seem that if you're, you know, let's say under age 60 and you're vaccinated, if you go into a restaurant, you're looking at really low odds of anything really, you know, serious happening to you. Are are you trying to get word out more and more that restaurants are safe venues for people to go to? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. I mean, if you dial all the way back to 2020, that was the argument we were making with government officials who, you know, shut down restaurants, that we know how to operate. We know how to operate. We know how to, you know, put air filtration in. We know how to do cleaning and sanitizing. We know, you know, in a lot of restaurants, you saw the barriers go up, right, the uh, plexiglass and things like that. And so we've learned. We know how to take care of that. You know, the issue, there's about 10% of the public right now, Dave, that's concerned about going on, and we see that repeatedly through a lot of surveys and national data. So we've just lost that customer until this is, you know, over. You know, they're just, they're high risk or they have kids or they have elderly, you know, parents or something. There's a reason they're not going to do it. And there's nothing you can say to convince them. But the rest, the 90%, we're trying to bring them back more and more and more. And, um, you know, we're, we're crossing our fingers between Omicron coming down and then slightly better weather, although last weekend wasn't a good example of this. But, you know, Days are getting a little bit longer. We've actually seen the sun this week. You know, people get back out a little bit. 
Um, we're trying to get that trap, that traffic in the restaurant back up. Um, there were some days in the last month, uh, really in January, where we had our reservations. And we use a number of things to track this data, like Open Table, if you've ever used that. Uh, where reservations, a lot of sit-down restaurants were down 20, 30, 40% year over year. Um, and so we got to get over that, get more people coming back, you know, to dining out. And then the second thing with Omicron, the reason that's such good news is uh, a lot of restaurants were forced to reduce their hours. In fact, in our last poll, 57% of restaurants <clears throat> across the state were forced to reduce hours of operation because they didn't have enough employees. You know, people had tested positive and they, <clears throat> you know, can't, can't keep the hours and have enough employees. Uh, on top of that, about a third of all restaurants <clears throat> are closed on more days than, you know, what they would want to be. So getting the Omicron numbers down will help correct that. Um, so getting a few more people out to actually go in restaurants and having more employees available to work, <clears throat> that's the formula for getting the industry back on the rebound. Well, there are some uh, some big special days coming up that uh, hopefully will help in some way. There's Valentine's Day, the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, and uh, then the NBA All-Star Game is going on in Cleveland February 20th. Yeah, I'd like to take claim that all three of those things are Ohio. Uh, uh, you know, we own Ohio. <laughs> Two of the three we do, right? Uh, Valentine's Day, though, is a big weekend because a lot of people do go out, you know, on the actual Valentine's Day, but a lot of people will say, hey, I, you know, I can't go out on Monday night to work night or whatever. So they go out Saturday or they go out Friday, right? Or they go out even on Sunday, you know, maybe do a brunch or something like that. So it's a big weekend. Uh, if you want to get a really nice restaurant for, you know, the Monday, the 14th, good luck, right, at this point. And most of the <laughs> best restaurants are already booked already for Valentine's dinner. But, um, uh, you know, getting those bridge days around these holidays is really important. So we're hoping that that happens. And then, you know, the Super Bowl is a national celebration. And, you know, there'd be a lot of people in Ohio participating in that uh, fun anyways. But the fact that the Bengals are in it, how much how much more could you ask for? The only thing that would be better if there would be somehow we'd have both teams from Ohio <laughs> in the Super Bowl, right. uh, which we can't because they play in the same division. But uh, <clears throat> that'll be a great Sunday for a lot of our restaurants in terms of uh, a lot of takeout food happens, you know, on, uh, over <clears throat> Super Bowl parties and things like that, a lot of catering. So that'll be good for, for those businesses. And we're thrilled about that. And then the All-Star Games the entire weekend, right? Um, so uh, people who are into the NBA, uh, Cleveland's going to be booming, right? There's so many people are going to be coming into town. It's going to be exciting. A lot of our restaurants are gearing up uh, for that across the city, northeast Ohio. Um, and uh, there'll be just a lot going on downtown. So it's exciting. we got a lot going on uh, these next couple of weeks. And that's uh, unbelievable, too, because the Cavaliers are the team in the NBA. Everybody's talking about them this year. They're a contender, it turns out. You know, wouldn't it be great we have the All-Star game and get a nice long playoff run with that team? I mean, they're, what, about 10, 12 games over 500? Right. Which is a surprise, I think, you know, for most people. And um, it's great to see. It's really good news. Now, there was word out of Cleveland that there was an attempt by a lot of restaurants to be able to sell alcohol late into the night until 4 a.m., and, and it's only been granted to seven hotels. The restaurants feel like they got backhanded a bit on that. Yeah, I've talked to a number of our operators, and um, first of all, we're thrilled the All-Star game is there. We're thrilled that the city considered, you know, extending the hours for businesses, and uh, I think there were something like 88 uh, businesses applied, and only seven were granted the extended hours, and uh, we were not, you know, in that discussion necessarily, but our oper- some of our operators in the city were. And, uh, you know, what they said is, look, it, you know, we're an industry that has just literally been crushed for a long period of time, 23 months. 
And when, when these opportunities come around, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, fight back a little bit and get some sales back, we really would like to partner, you know, with our, our leaders and, and come up with solutions. And, you know, many of our operators said, you know, there's no difference between being open at 1 o'clock, 2, 3, or 4. They're still going to be serving food. The kitchen's going to be open. They're going to have parties come in. This is similar to, you may remember a few years ago, the Republican National Convention <clears throat> was in Cleveland. And many of our restaurants had fantastic experiences because they booked the restaurant out to groups and uh you know they cook you know during the day and later into the evening and things like that were you know because people were going all hours the all-star game starts and some of these festivities start late and end very late where people won't end up getting to the restaurant until maybe even midnight and so that puts a lot of pressure on you know getting people through a nice dinner in a couple hours so that was the reason that so many restaurants and bars applied for that and you know, I know Cleveland had to make a decision on this. We, we would, you know, ask them, you know, respectfully to maybe reconsider that. Uh, the Department of Liquor, we have partnered with them now for, you know, a decade on a number of programs. And, you know, I think we could convince them if they if we talk directly to them because they're the ones that grant the extension. But um, we'll see. We're watching this carefully. And, um, you know, we just, we're going to need the help of our elected leaders if they don't want to see, you know, a broad additional set of closings, you know, across our great cities. Talking with John Barker, president, CEO of Ohio Restaurant Association. Just a couple of minutes to go here. Speaking of uh, the federal government and uh, legislators, are you still seeking more federal or state help from them to get through this? Yeah, the big push right now is on two things. Uh, One is the um, uh, employee retention tax credit, which businesses that lost, you know, money in uh, 2020 and 2021 can apply for it. It's... you know, it's a way to recapture some of that. It's essentially, you know, it's essentially a grant. You get cash. And so many of our restaurants and bars and coffee shops and caterers have applied for that. And um, but it got cut off uh, at the end of the third quarter of 2021. Congress decided to, to end it early, even though these businesses actually had a horrific fourth quarter. So we're asking Congress to consider extending that. Um, and uh, we have some support uh, <clears throat> from some key, you know, some of the key members of Congress to do that. The second one, uh, Dave, is called the Restaurant uh, Revitalization Fund, and we're asking for that to be replenished. About a third of the uh, restaurants that applied for that and were approved got the money, but the other two-thirds did not. And uh, we're concerned. This is so critical that uh, we're nervous that we're going to see another wave of closings if that does not uh, not get approved. And by the way, there is money already allocated um, that could be used for this in the American Rescue uh, Plan that was passed quite some time ago. So that's what we're asking Congress to consider, and both of our senators uh, support it. So Senator Brown, Senator Portman has to go through Senate first. There's actually a bill uh, under consideration, and uh, so we're asking Congress to get that passed here in February. Well, as we head toward, uh, you know, by the end of March into April, it'll be getting dark at 7.30 or later at night. It'll be starting to warm up. The uh, DORA, Designated Outdoor Refreshment Areas, that a lot of cities and towns have developed will begin to get active. That seems like a pretty promising thing heading into the spring. Yeah, we had great support from our cities really across Ohio. You know, we worked with many of them to get these things put in place, um, including Cleveland and, uh, you know, Cincinnati and and here in Columbus, and extending even some on-street dining. You may have seen some of that where you get creative. You need to take uh, the parking that is right in front of a restaurant and kind of wall that off and uh, and then have on-street dining, which reminds you a little bit of like if you were in France or somewhere right. in, in Europe, right, uh, that kind of thing with maybe an umbrella and you're sitting outside, on you know, when weather's a little bit better. And so, yeah, we'll be pushing to get all that reopened and going again here 
Um, you know, it's hard to say in Ohio you can do it any time before really the spring because uh, today, even though the sun's out, it, you know, it's kind of chilly this time of year. So, but, you know, once temperatures start getting up close to, you know, in the, in the 50s and 60s, the hardies start to get back out again. And, uh, and so those doras, those designated outdoor refreshment areas are fantastic. Yeah. Talking with John Marker with the Ohio Restaurant Association. Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, yeah, I would say this. You know, as, as consumers are out and about and they're thinking about what they're doing and, and they think about their local economy, and, um, you know, consider dining out as much as you can, uh, supporting your local restaurants. And that could be any type of restaurant. It could be your, you know, your local, you know, quick serve restaurant like a Wendy's. It could be your little local donut shop. It could be, you know, your fine dining restaurants that you love. You know, just make sure you keep supporting them because they have been through a very tough time. In most cases, they've had losses for 23 consecutive months, and they're still trying to make it up for that. And so we want them to be around to support them. And then, of course, your servers and your cooks and your, you know, your your wait staff and all that. Um, you know, make sure you leave a, a nice tip for them when you're in there. And uh, it all goes back around because guess what? All those people live in your neighborhood and they spend it again right back, you know, in, in supporting uh, the businesses in your neighborhood. And so um, it makes sense to, uh, to kind of help out uh, the industry if you could. Well said. Uh, John Barker, president, CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. Thanks again for your time, John. Sure appreciate it. Sure. Absolutely. Good talk to you. Hey, this is Grace Gostad. I'm a singer-songwriter, and like many, I've been traumatized by years of bullying. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're gay. You're worthless. Bullying causes real harm and can result in severe long-term depression, anxiety, addiction, and even self-harm. I created the Black Box Project for anyone who has ever felt different for any reason. Go to theblackboxproject.org to help you take the first step to healing. You are not alone. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. 
A new addition can be seen this morning at 11.30 on 10 TV. An increased military presence overseas is drawing thousands of American troops to Eastern Europe. Ohio lawmakers on both sides of the political aisle are talking about the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. A little help for families across Ohio. We're learning about the support provided by the child tax credit. their basic expenses, things like food, rent or mortgage payments, clothing for their children and for their families, utility payments. If you did opt in, what does it mean for this year's taxes? Stay with us for that. And hopefully you're somewhat thawed after last week's Arctic blast. If you're a fan of the spring, you might like what Buckeye Chuck is predicting. Face the State starts now. U.S. troops are on their way to Eastern Europe in response to escalating tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Late last week, the Kremlin denounced the United States for deploying those additional soldiers. Russia says the move was intended to stir up tensions. But both American leaders and satellite data show Russia is not diminishing its presence. In fact, it's only building. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. As of late last week, 3,000 extra troops were on their way to Poland. Russia has denied plans to invade Ukraine, but showed it's in no mood for compromise. That's why Ohio's U.S. Senator Rob Portman is pointing his finger at Vladimir Putin. Russia is the aggressor here. Having invaded Ukraine twice in the past eight years, illegally annexing Crimea, inserting troops and offensive military weaponry into the Donbass region of Ukraine, initiating cyber attacks against public and private entities in Ukraine, and, and using disinformation to try to destabilize the democratically elected government in Ukraine. Now they've gone further by amassing more than 100,000 troops under the command of 100 tactical groups on Russia's Ukrainian border. This Russian deployment includes rockets and tanks and artillery and is no longer just on the eastern border of Ukraine, but it's now across the borders, including the northern border, where Russian combat troops and heavy equipment have gone into Belarus. And on the Belarus-Ukrainian border, a Russian presence is being felt. Ohio's other U.S. Senator, Sherrod Brown. Putin, Putin's always testing the West. Uh, Putin was, you know, he was close to Trump. He's not so close to Biden, and he's testing the West. And um, he tested the West in 2014 when he did when he did a, a smaller, limited invasion into Ukraine. We've got to make sure Putin understands he pays a price. He pays a major economic price, and all his oligarch friends, the billionaires around him, pay a major economic price um, if they decide to attack Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine military probably isn't strong enough to repel him, but it's going to do major damage to the Russian government and the Russian the, the, the Russian business leaders um, if he goes in and, and invades. And they need to know that. And we are showing them that every day. 
President Biden says the leader of the Islamic State blew himself up during a raid by U.S. Special Operations Forces in northwest Syria. About 50 troops took part in that operation near the Turkish border that killed an ISIS leader. U.S. Special Forces had moved in two hours before, landing helicopters and exchanging fire with gunmen. The Pentagon says seven people were killed, including three children. After the operation, one of the U.S. helicopters developed a mechanical problem and was destroyed away from that target site. He chose to blow himself up, not just to the vest, but to blow up that third floor rather than face justice for the crimes he has committed, taking several members of his family with him. President Biden and members of his national security team watched a live feed of the operation from the White House Situation Room. Filing week in the state of Ohio with candidates making their intentions official. Among those announcing their official moves, U.S. Senate candidate Democrat Morgan Harper filed at least 2,500 signatures at the Ohio Secretary of State's office. Gubernatorial hopeful John Cranley and running mate Senator Teresa Fetter delivered their nominating petitions to the Secretary of State's office. The campaign reported plans to turn slightly more than 3,000 valid signatures in to qualify for the ballot. That's necessary to have 1,000 valid signatures from voters who are registered Democrats or who are unaffiliated. Also, former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley and Cuyahoga County Council Vice President Cheryl Stevens filed their petitions to officially join the ballot for the Ohio governor's race. The campaign also announced another historic fundraising haul in the most recent filing, raising more than $1.26 million. This brings the campaign's total raised to more than $3 million, more than any gubernatorial challenger at this point in Ohio history. Ohio Supreme Court Justices Sharon Kennedy, Pat Fisher, and Pat DeWine jointly filed petitions to run for positions on the Ohio Supreme Court. Kennedy is pursuing the position of Chief Justice, while Fisher and DeWine will be seeking re-election to their seats on the court. All three conservative justices were unanimously endorsed by the Ohio Republican Party. The former Republican House Speaker accused of helping orchestrate a $60 million bribery scheme has asked that the criminal case against him be dropped. Larry Householder argues prosecutors haven't presented evidence that backs up the indictment. Federal investigators charged Householder in 2020 with conspiring to oversee the funneling of energy company money into a legislative effort to bail out two nuclear power plants. It's become known as the House Bill 6 scandal. Householder has pleaded not guilty. In a court filing, his attorneys argued the government hasn't provided the essential facts needed for an indictment. Ohio House Republicans are pushing a bill to target what they say is censorship of conservative viewpoints by social media giants such as Twitter and Facebook. GOP Representative Scott Wiggum of Worcester and Representative Al Cutrona of Suburban Youngstown are sponsoring this legislation. They say it will prevent big tech companies from engaging in viewpoint discrimination without violating the First Amendment right to free expression. The measure drawing some criticism from both conservatives and free speech advocates, such as the American Civil Liberties Union. A hydrogen technology company is coming back to Columbus after being founded here more than a decade. 
ago. The city announced Hyperion will be investing nearly $300 million into a new site in Columbus in the old printing hub for the Columbus Dispatch. Hyperion is described as a technology company focused on producing high-quality and low-cost hydrogen fuel cell technology. It's expected to offer nearly 700 jobs. Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther says he's excited to welcome back a company that once called Columbus home. We're only 10 minutes from the hilltop, one of our opportunity neighborhoods and a neighborhood that we're focused on collectively investing in and lifting up. The median income, household income there is $35,000 per year. Hyperion represents promise and prosperity for so many of our neighbors. Mayor Ginther says development on the site is expected to begin this summer and production is expected to begin next year. Going to college versus going to kindergarten. A new survey looks at how costs compare. Girl power with the gavel, the historic election for a female judge in central Ohio. We have carried the tradition for 42 years. Um, this will be the 42nd time that the Buckeye Chuck will be making a prediction on, on winter. He might not have the weather seal, but he's still a favorite forecaster. The legend of Buckeye Chuck and his prediction for the spring ahead. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. February marks Black History Month. We are recognizing both the empowering moments of black history as well as the pain of the history. Ohio's beginning included being founded as a free state. We talked with local author and historian Rita Fuller Yates, who recently published a book about Columbus's black history. In her work, she writes about slavery not being allowed in the state except as punishment for a crime. So what makes our story unique is it's assumed that we're just slaves, right? We came from Africa, we were slaves, and here we are today. Well, that's why I push for people knowing their local history as well as their DNA, because many African-Americans have descendants that were never slaves, descendants that were never slaves. Fuller Yates 
notes that African Americans helped the U.S. win the Revolutionary War. Many were awarded land grants here in Ohio that they later claimed as free war heroes. We're continuing our conversation with Fuller Yates and others this month and beyond as we look at those who made black history in the past along with today's trailblazers. We also have more incredible stories of black history. You'll find them at 10tv.com slash black history. Franklin County's Court of Common Pleas has a new administrative judge. Judge Kimberly Cocroft is the first woman to serve in that capacity at the Common Pleas. She was elected unanimously by her colleagues to take on that leadership role in what is the busiest Common Pleas General Division Court in the state of Ohio. And the administrative judge is essentially the forward-facing representative of the court to our justice partners, to county agencies. And so I interface uh, with the board of commissioners, with the county administrator, with lawyers in the attorney general's office, the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office, uh, the Franklin County Public Defender's Office, and then with the community at large. If there is a general question about what happens at the court and why it happens, I am the person who is responsible for answering those questions. I uh, give instructions of law to to grand juries, both here for the Franklin County Prosecutor and for the Ohio Attorney General. Uh, I swear in new employees. I give the oath of office to new employees. I help to formulate and guide policy decisions for the court. And I still have my own docket to manage. And so I don't give away the responsibilities that I have as a judge. I still manage about 575 cases. Uh, but in addition to that, I also handle handle the administrative component of what happens here at the Court of Common Pleas General Division. I decided to create a new committee for the court. There are standing committees that address myriad issues from policy, personnel, rulemaking. And so what I decided to do was form a committee called Access to Justice. Mm -hmm. um, Access to Justice is a theme that is persistent uh, in the work of Ohio courts. It is something that our chief justice um, has asked judges to focus on in our daily work. There was no mandate that the committee be formed, but it's such a consistent theme that I felt it appropriate to form the Access to Justice Committee. And so what that will do is attempt to identify gaps in our delivery of services and try to figure out a way to fill those gaps. And so one of the first things that I've asked the committee to do is to work with the clerk of court's office to permit defendants who must pay fines, court costs, restitution, mm -hmm. to be able to do that using technology. Right now, people have to come to the clerk of court's office to pay any financial sanction. And candidly, um, if people are ordered to pay, they're already limited in resources, asking them to come to the physical building to make a payment is another impediment. And the reason that that is so important is because those persons who are eligible at some point in the future to have record of conviction sealed, there mm -hmm. has to be a complete discharge from the sanction. Judge Kokoff was appointed to the bench in 2009 by then-Governor Ted Strickland. She was elected in 2009 and then re-elected in 2016. The judge is a graduate of The Ohio State University Moritz College of Law. The advanced child tax credit gave parents extra money in their pockets during a time of uncertainty. So now filing taxes might feel a little tricky. Consumer Tense Clay Gordon is walking us through it. For those who opted in, it was $300 per month for six months. 90% of families across the country used at least some of that money for their basic expenses, things like food, rent or mortgage payments, 
clothing for their children and for their families, utility payments. We are learning what it looked like here in Ohio. It's estimated that over 270,000 Ohio children were either lifted out of poverty or closer to being out of poverty thanks to those payments in 2021. For some families, it was an advancement of $3,600 for children ages 5 and under, 3000 for children 6 to 17 years old, but they only received half so far. The other half is expected to come back with your tax refund. So the IRS, they're mailing out a, a letter. It's, it's called a, six, you know, a, it's a 6419 letter, and it just shows the amount of the advanced child tax credit that you know, the the receiving taxpayer received in 2021. For those who didn't qualify for the child tax credit and received money, they will have to pay it back. And if there are differences between what the letter says and how much money you received, call the IRS. But experts say the IRS is still facing delays from last year's refunds. This year, be patient. The Center for Community Solutions says all eligible people should still file so they don't miss out on other tax breaks offered from the government. There's also the earned income tax credit for working families and working Ohioans, and millions of dollars are left on the table every year when people don't claim all the tax credits that they're eligible for. So first and foremost, we are encouraging everyone to file your taxes, that was Consumer Tense Clay Gordon. The IRS rolled out a new website, the childtaxcredit.gov. That's the website. You can go there to research how much you should have received, how much you did receive, etc. We have it for you right now at 10tv.com slash consumer10. All right, parents are paying more for just about everything right now. But one place they could really see those price hikes is child care. A recent analysis found that the annual cost of child care now rivals the cost of a college education. In Ohio, the average cost of child care is just $329 less than in-state tuition. The average cost for a four-year-old is nearly $8,000 a year. An infant costs around $9,600 a year. Some parents say they are even spending half of their after-tax income on care for their children. I felt like I should scream, cry, and vomit all at the same time. You know, you have this repetitive question, is it worth it? The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services considers child care affordable if it only takes 7% of a family's income. Right now, only 12.2% of Ohio families can afford infant care. All the way from Cincinnati. We drove all the way. Don't, don't, be, don't be mad. Are you guys going to the Super Bowl? Are you going to watch your home? You know what? We're trying to figure that out. We might go. We might go. Oh, the Cincinnati Bengals are Super Bowl bound. I know you've heard about that. And the scammers love to try to take advantage of your excitement. Ohio's top cop, Attorney General Dave Yost, sent us a message this week saying, quote, the cheap seats start at $6,000. So if someone is claiming to get you in the stadium for significantly less, you should challenge that call. Con artists are out there and fake tickets will always exist. Although no scamming has been reported to my office, Ohioans should be on the defensive when looking at Super Bowl tickets. Again, that's Ohio's AG. Ohio does rank high when it comes to the loss of our wetlands. Coming up, the push to preserve our environment. And which rodent do you believe? What Ohio's Buckeye Chuck says about spring and why not all animals agree. 
Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. The strength of our country hasn't just been won on the battlefield. It's won every day in our communities when we come together in our toughest times. For over 100 years, the American Legion has been strengthening communities across our nation by providing life-saving help and support to our veterans and neighbors during times like we're facing today. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. We like to verify on Face the State. A U.S. congressman from our neighboring state of Kentucky went viral over the weekend with a tweet criticizing the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He uses a quote that he says is from a famous French writer. But is it? Casey Decker from our National Verify team looked into it. Representative Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, has been heavily critical of COVID restrictions. Recently, he posted this tweet. It says, you mustn't question Fauci, for he is science. And it features a photo containing a quote. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. The photo attributes that quote to Voltaire, a French writer and philosopher from the 1700s. Many of the replies to Massey's tweet, though, claim the quote isn't Voltaire at all. So let's look into it. Did Voltaire actually write, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize? Our sources, a database of Voltaire's writings compiled by the University of Chicago, the website of etymologist Barry Popick, a blog post by Nicholas Cronk, the director of the Voltaire Foundation at the University of Oxford, and the writings and recordings of Kevin Strom, the founder of a once prominent neo-Nazi group. And you'll understand why he's relevant to this story in just a moment. But first, let's go to Voltaire himself. The University of Chicago compiled a searchable database of Voltaire's published work. We searched a variety of phrases associated with the quote, and although Voltaire does write a lot about criticism and censorship, we didn't find anything that matches what Massey tweeted. Furthermore, there's no evidence in academia that Voltaire ever wrote it. In 2017, scholar Nicholas Kronk wrote a blog post about Voltaire's famous one-liners, including a number falsely attributed to him. Kronk specifically cited this quote as an example of such false attribution. Etymologist Barry Popick looked at the history of the quote's use online and discovered it was rarely used before 2010, even though Voltaire's work was published nearly 300 years ago. The earliest usage Popick could find was a 1993 radio broadcast by Kevin Strom. Strom was a leader in American neo-Nazi spheres until he was in prison for possession of child sex abuse imagery in 2008. A transcript of that radio broadcast shows Strom saying, quote, to determine the true rulers of any society, all you must do is ask yourself this question. Who is it that I am not permitted to criticize? The quote has since been attributed wrongly to Voltaire many times. So often, in fact, that Strom himself took to a neo-Nazi blog in 2017 to claim authorship, saying, quote, Voltaire didn't say this or anything similar. And you'll even see the image Strom used in that post matches the one Representative Massey tweeted. So we can verify, no, Voltaire did not write. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. We reached out to Congressman Massey's office for comment. We did not receive one. With your Verify, I'm Casey Decker. 
And whether it's from Ohio, Kentucky, or any other state, we're here to help verify those claims on your social media feed. Contact us on Facebook, Twitter, or by email. We'd love to hear from you. This past week marked World Wetlands Day, and Ohio is home to many bogs, marshes, and fens that make up our landscape. Programs like the Ohio Wetland Association and H2Ohio have been working to preserve these wetlands. By keeping these marshes going, we can protect the animals and the plants that live there and reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Creating, restoring, reconnecting these wetlands, um, first and most importantly for water quality, right? So they act as nature's kidneys and the water flowing through, the water flowing in and out, their their action, both the vegetation in the wetlands and the soil beneath it are a really important way to absorb those nutrients. H2 Ohio has recently helped clean up algae blooms and restore Buckeye Lake. This is important because Ohio is second in the country, just behind California, when it comes to wetland loss. So far, over 11,000 acres of wetlands here in Ohio have been restored. If you'd like to see a full list, you can check that at our website, 10TV.com. The weather we've been seeing in recent days shows winter is not ready to let go. But there's one particular rodent who disagrees. Buckeye Chuck is our hometown groundhog hero from Marion County. On Groundhog Day, he did not see his shadow, which means spring will be here soon. Well, at least according to Ohio folklore. We have carried the tradition for 42 years. Buckeye Chuck has has no political connection or affiliation. Uh, Buckeye Chuck loves everybody. Uh, Buckeye Chuck is the king of kindness. Who doesn't want to go up to a groundhog and, and pet a groundhog and and uh, and and have a groundhog kind of nip at your nose? Because this one does. Buckeye Chuck is about the friendliest groundhog you'll ever meet. Okay, and we must note, to maintain our journalistic integrity, Pugsatani Phil is not in alignment with Chuck. The Pennsylvania prognosticator saw his shadow, so he says, bundle up for six more weeks of winter. And of course, we have to make sure we tell both sides of the story. Thank you so much for joining us here on Face the State today. We'll see you tomorrow morning for Wake Up CBUS from 425 until 7, and then we'll see you back here next Sunday for Face the State. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength, a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Donors choose. Support a classroom. Build a future. Did you know that every year, public school teachers spend nearly $500 of their own money for student supplies? Let's do the math. 
That comes out to over $1.2 billion a year. And that's just not right. At Donors Choose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Here's what you can do. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, history, and more. Once a request is funded, we'll take care of shipping everything directly to the teacher. It's that easy. You'll receive thank you letters and photos from students and teachers and a report of how every dollar was spent. Teachers' needs have never been greater. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors Choose. Support a classroom. Build a future. There's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all and a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's a place to share photos of pets or singing in the choir or the time you ate a pepper and your mouth was on fire. But we could all be better at sharing how we're feeling inside. 76% of employees have struggled with at least one issue that affected their mental health. When you share, you're not alone. Ask about your company's emotional health benefits. Visit heart.org slash sharing. Brought to you by the American Heart Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. As of yesterday, the Ohio Department of Health had reported 35,005 deaths from the coronavirus in the state of Ohio. More than 14,600, or 42% of them, were at least 80 years of age. 9,300 more of them, or 27%, were age 70 to 79. And 6,400 of them, or 18%, were age 60 to 69. So overall... 87% of the 35,000 people who've died of COVID in Ohio were at least 60 years old. That's more than 30,000. On the other end, just 30 Ohioans age 19 or younger have died. 121 people in their 20s have died. 423 people in their 30s have passed away from COVID in Ohio. 1,062 in their 40s and just under 3,000 people in their 50s. The people in their 50s represent 9% of all COVID deaths in Ohio. And one other statistic of note I wanted to pass along. As I said, Ohio has 35,000 deaths. Michigan, by comparison, has 33,400. Pennsylvania has more than 42,000. Based on population, all of Ohio's neighboring states except for Kentucky have a higher death rate than Ohio. And Kentucky is nearly even with Ohio. On Thursday of this week, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a news conference to talk about hospitalizations. This runs about six minutes. Well, I'm happy to be able to share some good news today. News that the decline in Ohio's COVID-19 cases, a decline that we've seen over the last few weeks, has in fact continued. And in some areas of the state, that decline is even accelerating. Just a month ago, Cuyahoga County had a rate of 3,000 cases per 100,000 residents. That number has now plummeted to 189 cases per 100,000 residents, a sharp and welcome drop. The number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 also continues to decline. 
Ohio saw a peak of over 6,700 people in the hospital on January 11th. As of yesterday, that number has gone down by more than half to just over 2,800. Significantly, just in the last week alone, state's hospitalization numbers have declined by 18%, a further sign that the Omicron wave is in fact receding about as quickly as it arose. Now, just about every region of Ohio is experiencing this drop in cases and hospitalizations, although parts of Southern Ohio, where Omicron peaked much later than in the Northeast, haven't yet seen as sharp a decline. The drop in hospitalizations has allowed more hospital systems to resume a full scope of services, including performing elective surgeries, which many hospitals had to suspend for a time during the Omicron surge as it taxed their resources, especially their human resources. As the pressure on hospital staff is easing in more areas of the state, this has allowed some of our National Guard members who stepped up at a crucial moment to provide essential support to our hospitals to head back home and back to their regular occupations. At the peak of Omicron, about 2,000 Guard members were deployed at 62 hospitals and 18 testing sites all around our state. This has been an extraordinary intervention and one that's made a big difference for so many hospitals and the communities that they serve, including reducing pressure on our vital emergency departments. As of Tuesday, the number of Guard members deployed across Ohio had declined to about 1,200, serving at 28 hospitals and 13 testing centers. But while the National Guard may be reducing its presence in our hospitals and our testing centers, it's certainly not the time for us to let our guard down. Although our case numbers have in fact substantially improved from our Omicron peak, it's important to put our current numbers into some, some perspective. Remembering that a case rate of 100 per 100,000 people is considered high. Ohio's overall case rate remains at more than five times that number. And our highest counties are, in fact, still close to 20 times that benchmark. So while there's no doubt we are quickly moving in the right direction, it's simply too early for us to declare victory, given the reality that thousands of Ohioans are still being diagnosed with COVID-19 each and every day. In the meantime, we need to remember that we have many important tools at our disposal to protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities, as there remains a lot of virus out there in the community. Wearing a mask, particularly in many crowded indoor environments, may still be a wise choice. And of course, getting vaccinated remains the very best way to safely minimize your risk of developing a serious illness related to COVID-19. Getting vaccinated also means that you'll join more than 60% of eligible Ohioans, those ages five and older, who have now also 
been fully vaccinated. That's a number of more than 6.6 million people. But while getting your primary vaccination series is a great step to protect your health, it's not the final step. As with many other vaccinations, keeping your protection against COVID-19 up to date includes getting a booster shot when that's needed. As we transition from living through a COVID-19 pandemic to something we're better able to live with safely, getting a booster shot on time is an important part of keeping our immunity strong. Indeed, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in looking at experience with the Delta and the Omicron surges, has reported that people who got their booster when it was time were in the best protected position against illness resulting in hospitalization. And staying up to date with a COVID-19 booster really appears to be particularly important for those who are over 40 or have certain underlying health conditions. Today, of the 6.6 million Ohioans who are in fact fully vaccinated, nearly 3.3 million have received a booster, which is good news. It also means that there are millions more of us who might still be eligible to receive a booster. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff from Thursday's news conference talking about hospitalizations. During that news conference, he was also asked about masking in schools. Here's how he responded to that. This runs about two and a half minutes. You know, whether a school or a school district has a masking policy has been and remains a local decision here in Ohio. Uh, And it's one that that we believe should be made in partnership with parents, as well as teachers and and, and local school leaders. And while we're grateful that as we look all across Ohio, we're now experiencing, in some circumstances, fairly steep and rapid drops in COVID-19 cases, we need to remember those statewide numbers that I shared. And we need to remember that, you know, as we take, take the picture as a whole, we're still more than five times what is considered high levels of community spread. And there is no county that is below that high level threshold. So at this time, the Ohio Department of Health continues to urge Ohioans to protect themselves and think about using each and every tool that's available. Now, um, we continue to, of course, emphasize the importance of vaccination. And I may sound a little bit like a broken record because we as doctors know how well vaccinations work, both for an individual and for communities. That's the key to um, really getting um, assured immunity uh, against this thing. But we of course have other tools and masking, keeping our distance, hand hygiene, good ventilation, avoiding crowds. These are all important tools that are available to us. So as we're looking at COVID and it continues to evolve in our our state, our perspective is that Ohioans need to make personal choices to protect themselves, their families, and their communities. And what we, as the Ohio Department of Health, will continue to do 
is we'll continue to promote what we think might be the best strategies for protection, and we'll continue to share data and information about cases and community spread and hospitalizations, all from the perspective of helping every Ohioan to make the best personal decisions they can about their individual health and well-being, and that includes the health and well-being of their children, their students, uh, in their community. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, Director of the Ohio Department of Health, from Thursday of this week. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.